Well, howdy, y'all. How's everybody doing today? Everybody looking good out there? What's going on? Anderson Campus, would you help me welcome our other campuses and folks joining us online? We're so glad that you're here today. Uh, well, listen, I wanna go ahead and invite you to open up your Bibles. We're gonna be in Matthew chapter four. And uh, we're starting the Sermon on the Mount today. And uh, I'm so pumped. Our teaching team is so excited. 12-week journey. And you just got to see a little bit of a video that our creative team put together. And, uh, and, and, and really, the, the Sermon on the Mount as a whole is one of the most known, popular, uh, quoted um, uh, pieces of biblical uh, uh, discourse that is that has ever been talked about. Um, you know, one of the things that's so crazy is, do you know what Barack Obama, Joseph Goebbels, Harry Truman, and Mahatma Gandhi all have in common? Anybody? They all have multiple quotes about the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount has spanned time and space, and some of the things that Jesus Christ said there um, are transcendent and incredibly important, and I can't wait to be able to dive in with you there. I just wanna pause for a moment and before we get into the content, I wanna look at the camera and welcome all of our college students that are re-engaging again. I know today here in Anderson, we had a lot of college folks back. I was seeing some of the worship team earlier. Erica was singing up on the stage and our college folks are back. Welcome back, college folks. And hey, campuses, the next couple of weeks, if you see a young person and you don't know who they are, I wanna invite you to introduce yourself and uh, tell them, hey, you'll hook them up with a meal sometime or maybe take them out to lunch after church or invite them into doing what you do. But college students, we're, we're glad to have you back, all right? Uh, in addition to that, before we jump into the content, I wanna just drop a footnote right here to our Sermon on the Mount guidebook. We gave these out last week and they are incredible. I was just having a conversation in the lobby with a gentleman who was talking about, they've already read through a whole bunch of this, but the pictures, the articles, all the content, this is original. Our creative team developed it here for you and for me so that we might cultivate that everyday relationship. So if you don't have one of these, I wanna invite you to swing by the guest services area at your campus. After the service, you can pick one of these up and it'll, it'll encourage you in your everyday relationship. One more thing I gotta celebrate is uh, where are my kids spring mom and dads at? Wave your hands at me, kids spring mom and dads. Okay, all over this room, 915, we get them here. You know, trying to get them ready for school starting this week um, in a lot of places. Today, on your campus, we're starting a brand new series in Kids Spring called On the Farm. And uh, so if you see some little, little farmers or, or little, uh, my, my daughters were dressed up in like jean jackets and had like straw hats on this morning and, and uh, little, little farm girls. If you see any of that going on at your campus, just know the next eight weeks at Kids Spring, we're talking about on the farm. Today, when you pick up your kids, they're gonna actually get some resources. They're learning about the fruits of the spirit, mom, dad, grandparents, loved ones. And uh, they're gonna learn that the fruit of the spirit's not a coconut. Uh, that's a song for some of y'all that know that. And uh, their good friends up in Adam over in Kid Spring are gonna be teaching them about the fruits of the Spirit. I wanna encourage you to, dads, let me talk to dads for a moment. Dads, I wanna encourage you to lead out in helping put some of these cards into the rhythms of your family's life uh, in your house. Families, let's put these things in the rhythms of our family's lives. We are gonna see our kids bear more fruit if we do this. And how many of us know we need more love, Amen. more joy, more peace, more patience. Yeah, I'm gonna do all nine. More patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in our world. And we can, we can see the young people really as we cultivate that. So that's over in Kid Spring. And now all the announcements are over. If you're ready for the word of God, say amen. amen. 
Amen. All right. Well, I got a whiteboard out here, which is dangerous for me. All right. I love a whiteboard and that's dangerous. Let's pick up the conversation in Matthew chapter four. And this is Jesus' dialogue right before he opens up the largest sermon in his entire recorded ministry. The Sermon on the Mount is Matthew chapter five, six, and seven. Three whole chapters of his recorded sermon. Words like, turn the other cheek. Phrases like, our Father in heaven. Ideas like, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Jesus would say things that we have heard. You don't even have to be a church person to have heard these phrases, and they all came from this sermon. The question I wanna enter into before we begin is, why is this of value? Why did what he said there matter, and why were people listening? Why was there a crowd there to hear this sermon? And we'll find this all out in Matthew chapter four, starting in verse 17. Let's read it together. Here's the word of the Lord. From that time, Jesus began to preach, and look what he's saying, church. He's saying these words, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, another translation says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he sees two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. They're casting nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he says to these two blue-collar guys, he says, hey, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and they followed him. And going on a little further there, he saw two other brothers. Their names were James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. And the boat, they were in the boat with Zebedee, their father. Zebedee's a fun name to say, isn't it? Zebedee, their father. They were mending their nets. And he called to John and James and he says, hey, come and follow me. And what does it say that they did, church? It says that immediately... They left the boat with their father and they followed him. They put a button in this and just say, what we're seeing right here, if you wanna jot this down, is you're seeing the message that undergirds the entire Sermon on the Mount. The message that Jesus preaches here and that he still preaches today is a really simple message. It's the message to repent for the kingdom of God is now here. I'm gonna unpack that a little bit more, but I just wanna say, if you're taking notes, this is massive. This is a thread that pulls all the way through this sermon and that we've gotta get an idea of what this word repentance means. Now, if you've grown up in church context or maybe you grew up in like a traditional context like I did, many of us, unchurched, de-churched perhaps, or grew up in church, right? Drugged to church. We heard about this word repent. And that, that word repent, man, it, I have a sound that plays in my brain when I hear it, and it usually goes to like a fiery brimstone preacher growing up. Anybody, anybody got that same kind of sound going on in their head when you hear the word repent? Uh, yeah, that, that's probably just a product of growing up in the, in the Bible Belt South. But I wanna get a fresh, clean slate in our minds because it's gonna be needed. We've gotta, we've gotta let Jesus define the word repent. And if you're writing this down, it, it literally just means we've gotta change our minds. That's the Greek word. It, it means a change of mind, a change of heart. What repentance is, listen to me, is just simply gaining heaven's view on a matter. So there's some things in our world, there's some things in the kingdom of earth that we have a view of, we think we know what it means, we think we understand what marriage is or 
what prayer is or what living life is. And Jesus is going to say before he starts to teach, he's going to preach all over the region, hey, it's time to get heaven's view on a matter. It's time to change your mind. It's time to repent because there's a kingdom that's now here. There's a kingdom that's at hand. And listen, so important, the key to access the kingdom is understanding repentance. One more time. The key to accessing the kingdom is to embrace this idea of repentance. And that means we've got to work it out. We've got to practice it. We've got to create some space for it. And so I just will take your eyes to your auditorium and all over your room, there are stations. And these stations, we're gonna get to take some time at the end of the service today over the course of this entire series to create some space to get heaven's view on a matter. And one of the things that I just wanna declare that we as a pastoral staff are trying our very best to fight against. You ready? We're trying to fight against this, this trend that you probably have noticed if you've been around church world for any time too long. The trend is we have so much church and we have so little change. Y'all feel that? We see in the earth, there is so much church in America, so much church. So many people that have historically gathered Sunday after Sunday, year after year, decade after decade, so much church, but we see so little change. How does that happen? It happens because we don't embrace the key to the kingdom. And the key to the kingdom is what? The key to the kingdom is the idea of repentance. So I'm on a personal mission. New Spring Church, you know what my personal mission is? You know what our teaching team's personal mission is? We wanna make repentance great. We wanna, we wanna create space where we don't shame somebody that wants to get heaven's view on a matter. We wanna invite and create a culture on a Sunday morning where you can, you don't have to be perfect when you show up here. As a matter of fact, you need to come and bring all your broken stuff right here and you need to come and lay it down at the feet of Jesus and take up his view on the matter and walk out of this place to go and be the church all week long with some encouragement in your heart and we don't wanna create a space where anybody feels ashamed to repent. Is that okay if we do that? So I wanna invite you into that because I don't know if you've got a little bit of burn in your gut, but I do. I am tired of seeing so much church and so little change. And I wanna invite you in to embrace this with us. And that's what the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins having this conversation with religious people. The book of Matthew was actually identified as the gospel to the Jewish nation. And one of the things that we need to catch right here at the beginning is that when Jesus begins to preach here, he's going to actually climb up the mountain. Now in their context, in their culture, mountains were unbelievably important and, and really they were famous in, in the Jewish history of the Old Testament. How many of you remember Abraham, Father Abraham? Wave at me, Father Abraham, remember him? Remember where, where did Father Abraham go? He went up on a mountain and he took his son there to sacrifice to him. Anybody remember what name of the mountain was? What was the name of the mountain? Mount Moriah, I heard it, well done. And not just Abraham on Mount Moriah, there was another famous leader, his name was Moses. And he went up on a mountain one time, met with God on the mountain, and what did he come back down with? He came back down with the Ten Commandments, yeah. Do you remember the name of the mountain? Anybody remember it? 
Mount Sinai. Okay, I heard a young voice over here giving me Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai. And there was another really powerful moment in the Old Testament history where one of, one of God's men climbed a mountain and, uh, and God showed up in a powerful way. His name was Elijah. Remember the time he showed up and there was that showdown with all the prophets of Baal, all of, all of Ahab and, and who else? Who else was there? Jezebel's prophets and, and God showed up in a powerful way and that was on Mount Carmel. Okay, watch this. So when Jesus climbs the mountain, you need to know he's not doing anything by accident. He could have, he could have preached the sermon at the sea, but he didn't. He preached the sermon on the, the mount. And this idea of the mountain is the idea of heaven meeting earth, heaven coming down. And so when Jesus climbs the mountain and begins to preach, this is playing right in mind with the Jewish understanding of God's coming down to meet with you. And he's got some things to say so that you can be a part of this kingdom work that he's doing. So he invites these fishermen and this is the picture of repentance. Do you remember what they did when Jesus said, come and follow me? What did, what did all four of these fishermen do? They dropped some things, they left some things, and they picked up some things. Let me just say out front, if we're gonna embrace repentance, if we're gonna get, a, get our arms around this idea of, I wanna, I wanna experience not just so much church, but I want that church to actually lead to so much good change in my life, in my home, in my family. I wanna be a part of this unshakable kingdom listen to me, then we've gotta do the same kind of motion that these disciples did. We've gotta be willing to lay some things down and pick some things up, amen? So I wanna invite you into laying some things down over the next 12 weeks. Maybe some ideas, maybe some things that you were raised thinking, maybe some things that you're currently struggling with, maybe there's some things that you're carrying. You walked in here today and people can't see it, but you came in here carrying some heaviness. I wanna invite you to lay some things down and to pick up some things over the next 12 weeks. So that's what happened with Jesus. He gets these four young disciples, start following him, and we'll pick it back up in verse 23. He continues, and it says this. And he, Jesus, he went throughout all of Galilee, and he starts teaching in their synagogues. And he starts proclaiming something. What's he proclaiming? He's proclaiming the gospel of the what, New Spring Church? The gospel of the, say it with me, kingdom proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and he's healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all of Syria. Why did his fame spread throughout all of Syria? Because of all those healings. So they bring to him the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those who were oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics and he healed them and a great crowd followed him from Galilee and the 10 cities. That's what that word Decapolis means. You'll notice the word Deca and Polis, 10 cities. The, the Decapolis, those were Gentile cities, non-Jewish cities. So he gets a great crowd from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. And so this is what happens here with Jesus. He's preaching and proclaiming and He's not just preaching and proclaiming, he's preaching and proclaiming and he's showing supernatural authority. So three things I want you to write down today, three points today that are features that'll go all the way through this series that if we're gonna understand what the Sermon on the Mount was preached to accomplish, we've got to get around these three ideas. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. 
All right, first idea. Number one idea we've got to get around is we've got to get around the idea that, that there is a king. So we need to identify the king. We've got to identify the king. Now, one of the things that this Sermon on the Mount will do, next week you'll hear about the Beatitudes. And the Sermon on the Mount will talk about these ideas of the blessed life and talk about that it's a blessing to, um, to embrace some things that maybe are countercultural. But one of the things that Jesus does at the very end of the Beatitudes is he says, and blessed are you if you are persecuted on behalf of me. All right, now that may not seem like much to us because we live 2,000 years later and we know that Jesus died on the cross and resurrected in power. Or at least even if you're not a Christian, you know that that's, that's what Christians believe. But when Jesus walked up on the mount and he tells these people that you're gonna be blessed when you were persecuted on behalf of him, I promise you in the crowd, buddies would have been nudging each other going, who does he think he is? What, what, what is he saying? He's, he's just a teacher, he's a rabbi, but he's saying, listen to me, he's saying he has the ability to bless. Not a trick question, who has the ability to bless? God and God alone. So right in the very first opening discourse, when he's going through all these blessings, he is saying without any hesitation, he is saying, I'm the king. This would have sent shockwaves. There would have been a murmur through the crowd. Whoa, 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 whoa. What's he saying? Did he say that? Well, no, no, let's keep listening. He goes a little bit further and over and over again, six times actually in chapter five, he quotes from the Old Testament, the Old Testament. He quotes Moses, he quotes Levitical law. Six times he quotes Moses, maybe one of you you've heard. You've heard it said, thou shalt not kill. Okay, that's 10 commandments, that's Moses. That's Moses up on a mountain getting commandments from God. And Jesus will come over top of that and he says, that's true, but I say to you, and then he says, you can't even have anger in your heart or it's the same thing as murder in your hands. Six times, church, I need you to get this. This is so important. Six times, he's gonna show himself to be superior and authoritative over all the things they had ever heard. And so he is declaring himself in no uncertain terms, not to be a good teacher, not to simply be a rabbi, He's declaring himself to be the king. And so what he's doing to the crowd is he is pushing the decision across the table and he's saying, you're gonna have to decide there is no gray area here whether or not you think I am just an arrogant rabbi full of hubris and pride or you think that I am actually the king. But listen to me, he's not gonna leave them any middle ground. This is why the people respond with such, such absolute mind-blowing astonishment. This, this is like a lightning bolt that bam, blows up the Jewish culture because he's quoting the Old Testament like he wrote it. He's speaking to this people about the commandments that he gave to Moses like he gave them, but there was an even deeper revelation that they were supposed to get. And so the people are shook. They are staggered because you know what it's not gonna let them do. This is crazy. If he's really the king, then it's not gonna let them walk away and do nothing with what he had to say. 
You're not gonna be able to hear these words from this man and walk away and not activate on them. You're going to have to change. You're going to have to, back to the first word, you're gonna have to get heaven's view on the matter. You're gonna have to embrace repentance. So I just wanna give you permission, okay? As I have been praying through this myself, and I mean, I've been reading this literally every single day. I've read the Sermon on the Mount. I've been praying through the Sermon on the Mount. Every single day, it makes me squirm, y'all. New Spring Church, it makes me squirm. It gets, it gets all up in my, 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 my heart. It gets all up in my space. And I, I, I'm believing that over these next 12 weeks, it's gonna make you squirm too, and that's okay. I wanna give you permission to squirm a little bit, okay? Because that's the point. Um, let me give an illustration for this. Uh, anybody out there like fitness? Where are my fitness people at? You're fitness people? Okay, my people. I'm a fitness person. A couple of years ago, about a decade ago actually, I got involved with this fitness movement. Some call it a cult, I won't go so far. Fitness movement, it's called CrossFit. Anybody heard of it? All right, yeah, y'all know what I'm talking about. Everybody knows somebody that does CrossFit because you you're not secret about it. Um, I don't do CrossFit now. Uh, I've gotten a little older and my body can't handle it. But the thing about CrossFit that I absolutely loved is when you showed up at the gym, it was not gonna let you just do the things that you were good at. Like, you know those people that, like, Dan talked about them last week, but man, they show out on the bench press. They're over there doing the bench press. They got the beach body workout. They're just shoulders and pecs and biceps and triceps, but they look like they're riding a chicken. Y'all know who I'm talking about? Don't point. Don't point. Don't point. Okay, all right, all right. Um, you can't do that in CrossFit. You might be the strongest guy in the gym on the bench press, but CrossFit's gonna find your weakness, and it's gonna get you on the squat rack. It's gonna figure out that you need to do some, get some calf raises going on. Or maybe, maybe you look like, man, you look like an Adonis. You look like you could be like the guy flexed out on, on the Gold's Gym poster, but you got zero cardiovascular strength. You like, you know, you, you run up the steps and you're breathing and panting. Well, CrossFit's gonna find that weakness. Or maybe you got all that going on. This was my, my case, um, is I felt like I was pretty balanced. Like I'm a pretty balanced guy. You know, I'm not real big, but, but I'm pretty balanced. Up, but I've got zero gymnastics background, zero flexibility. Your boy is stiff, New Spring Church. I'm stiff, okay? And CrossFit's gonna figure out that you gotta, fig, you gotta do some gymnastics. They had me walking on my hands, y'all. It's like this. It's like, I'm just kidding. I'm not gonna walk on my hands. Okay, you're with me. CrossFit is designed in the world of fitness to find the area that you're weak and improve upon it. Listen to me. The Sermon on the Mount is gonna find the area of you and I following Christ. It's gonna find the areas you're weak and it's gonna invite you to repent so that you might improve upon it because Jesus is not okay with just a whole bunch of people doing a lot of church and a whole bunch of the world having no change. So CrossFit and the Sermon on the Mount are similar in that way. And so I wanna invite you to squirm a bit I want to invite you to squirm a bit. I want to invite you to, to look at yourself in the mirror and say, I know I, I look the part in this area, but I want to get better in my prayer life. I know I look the part in my, my participation on a Sunday. I'm there every week, but I'm going to get buried, I'm better in my heart, in the way I, my attitude toward my neighbor, toward people that aren't like me, my mindset towards the world around me. I, I want to get better at that. That's what it's going to invite you into. So the first part of that is, listen to me, you've got to, you've got to recognize that Jesus is the king. That's, that's the first part of alignment if you're gonna be a part of the unshakable kingdom. The second part, say number two. Number two is we've gotta see that not only is there a king, but there is the kingdom. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the kingdom. Leave that word up there for a moment, this one right here. You see, this is made up of two words. You got the word king, 
this way. It's like doing it in the mirror. King, right? And dumb. That means king's dominion. That means everywhere that the king rules, that's where the kingdom is. Maybe you've never heard that, but that's what the word kingdom means. It's everywhere that the king rules. And so the Sermon on the Mount is gonna talk about what the kingdom will look like when the king is ruling. The kingdom looks like people turning the other cheek when the kingdom is ruling. The kingdom looks like people loving not just their friends, but their enemies when the kingdom, when the king is ruling in that area. The kingdom looks like that we, we don't worry and have anxiety about tomorrow because we know that the God who provides for the birds in the air and the lilies of the field will provide for you and me when the kingdom is ruling. But listen to me, this is such a big point. In culture, I want you to see if you notice this. We have a world, especially in America right now at the recording of this sermon, we have a world that desires the moral ethics of the kingdom in the Sermon on the Mount, but they do not desire the king on the throne of the kingdom on the mount. Did you hear what I said? We've got people, atheist people, they want, they want to hold up the idea of human dignity. They want to hold up the idea that we should be kind. They want to hold up the idea that people should be inclusive. But what they do in so doing, if they don't acknowledge the king that brings the kingdom, they literally are sawing off the limb that they're sitting on. This is what our world is full of right now. We desire the king. Hey, Gen Z, lean in right here, little brothers and sisters, young millennials. I'm at the very top of the millennial pile. We have a whole lot of us that we want the kingdom. We want the ideas from the kingdom. We want the justice from the kingdom. We want, we want the love from the kingdom. We want the inclusivity of the kingdom, but, but we wanna do it without acknowledging the king. And can I just say in love, as a pastor and a big brother, you do not get the kingdom without the king. And so recognize this. You're not gonna get the ethics of the kingdom, the ethos of the kingdom without the king. The way that the kingdom flows is it fl flows from the throne of the king. And so every one of us have to acknowledge if we're gonna see the kingdom happen in our worlds, then we've got to align our lives to the king. And so that's what, again, I'll come back to repentance. All repentance is, is evaluating the areas of my life, not just my Sunday morning, but evaluating my Wednesday afternoon and saying, on Wednesday afternoon, does King Jesus have dominion over my Wednesdays? Does King Jesus have dominion over my date night with my girlfriend? Does King Jesus have dominion over the way I handle my business ethics as a small business owner? Does King Jesus have dominion over my sophomore year at college? Is, is he actually having, because you're not gonna get the ethics of the kingdom without the actual presence of the king. And so we, we've gotta reject any idea that you can have kingdom ethics without the king. You're gonna recognize this all through politics now. You're gonna recognize this all through American first world post-secular problem is we want all the things that the kingdom offers, but if we don't recognize the king, they'll be short-lived. We've got to put the king on the throne. That was number two. Number three, Three and final, we've got to recognize that if we're going to see this king in this kingdom, there's going, to, there's going to be a recognition of a unshakable people. So an unshakable king will lead to an unshakable kingdom that'll lead to an unshakable people. There's going to be a group of people that are created. So when Jesus shows up and he's preaching this to the crowds, I want, I want to maybe perhaps take a little bit of um, pressure off. He was not looking for people that were already a part of the kingdom. 
He's not looking over New Spring Church today, over our auditoriums or over us watching online and going, I'm looking for people to be, to be these, these kind of people that, that already have all this figured out. When he called Simon and Peter and John and James, he didn't call them and they were already these kingdom people. Listen to me. He's inviting people in to be made into the kingdom people. Jesus is not looking over the state of South Carolina today for people that already show off the kingdom. He's looking for people willing to change their mind, gain heaven's view on the matter and become the people of the kingdom. Are you with me? That's a subtle difference, but it takes a lot of pressure off that you don't have to perform. You don't have to project moralism or that you've got it all together. He actually did something that caused people to bring all their issues to him. That's how the crowds formed. That's how the crowds will form on a Sunday morning or if there's gonna be an awakening or a revival, it's not gonna be because everybody at their house figures it out on their own and then shows up buttoned up and has it all figured out. No, it's gonna be because week after week, Month after month, year after year, people with all kinds of issues, people with all kinds of brokenness and sickness start to come week after week and day after day to this king and say, you're my king. I'm gonna give you dominion of my life. And he's gonna, through the act of repentance, create change in us from the inside out that we might be able to go back into our worlds, into our jobs, into our homes, into our schools and and. We are the city on a hill. We are the salt and the light. But that doesn't happen on our own. It happens as we come to him and then he changes us. This is such a misunderstood concept in Christianity, okay? And so I want you to lean in, especially if you're not a Christian. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, here's what I want you to know. Everybody around you is a sinner. Can I get an amen from a sinner? Amen. Sinner, man, sinner. Um, I say this about my kids all the time. Every time I put a cute little filtered photo of them up on Instagram, hashtag cute little sinners, man. They're, they're cute little sinners. Nobody in this place has it all figured out. Nobody, amen? amen? But we know the king and we know his grace and we know his forgiveness and we will not remain the same. So I wanna show you what this looks like this illustration, and then I'm gonna invite us to respond, okay? This is the Christian life right here. Everybody say, the Christian life. This is it, the Christian life. And as you go in the Christian life, you're gonna see a, a couple of things take place, okay? This is number one, and then this is number two. These are the two things you're gonna see take place. At the same time, I've seen this in my own life, is we've got to have, this is what repentance looks like in the Christian life. If we're gonna be the people that bring the kingdom, is you're gonna start aligning with the Lord and you're gonna start to have these little epiphanies that get bigger and bigger and bigger, all right? Can anybody tell what I'm, what I'm drawing with my red marker right there? What, is, what am I drawing, Anderson Campus? Can y'all help out everybody? What is that, what is that? Okay, okay, you're with me. All right, all right, so here's what's happened. I'm gonna show you what the deal is. All right, in the Christian life, as you go through life, you're gonna have revelation that God is, this line on top, is God is way better as you get older and older in life. Like when you were seven, you remember you thought God was good? But then when you turned like 17, you realized, holy cow, God's real, real good. At the same time, as you go in through the Christian life, you know, when I was seven, I stole some big red bubble gum from a roses. Y'all remember roses? We used to have roses. Uh, it's back in the day. Right? It was, it, now they're hanging out with community cash somewhere. They're all, they're all gone, okay? I, I stole some big red chewing gum from roses and I knew I was a sinner. Like I remember, oh man, I'm a bad boy. 
But you know what? When I, when I was addicted to pornography at 19, I knew my sin was way worse than stealing packs of five count bubble gum at Rose's. Watch this. Something in the Christian life has to make up the difference of the goodness of God and the sinfulness of humanity. And that thing that, that God has given us is the cross of Christ. And the cross of Christ throughout the entirety of Christian life has to become more and more valuable, not less and less valuable. More and more important, not less and less important. And this is what the church should look like. It should look like a people that the, the king dying on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins is a, is a more and more identifiable and obvious characteristic of my life. That's why Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that starts really small. But as you begin to let that mustard seed grow in your heart, it becomes the most dominant feature in the garden. That's what Jesus said. So what we're gonna do here at the end of our service, at the end of our gatherings for the next 12 weeks is I'm gonna invite all of us on our campuses to stand to our feet. So right now, go ahead, you can, you can kind of put your things away. Stand to our feet. And I'm gonna really feature and highlight in every auditorium We've got these ministry stations. We've got volunteers who are gonna come now and they're gonna man these ministry stations. And I want you to look around your room because here's what we're doing. We are not gonna hear the word of Jesus, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, worship him through song, and then walk away and do the same thing this week that we did last week, amen? We are committed to being a people that wanna, we wanna have church, so much church, but we wanna experience so much change. That change happens as we face ourselves in light of the cross. So I want you to look around your room. Do you see a cross somewhere? In the room I'm in, it's to my right, your left. And today, the invitation of Jesus is that if you have never ever received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you came here today and you've never put your faith in him for the forgiveness of sin, then right here in a moment, that cross is for you. You can come down, step out of your row, come down to the cross, and by faith, take your name and just pin it to that cross. Say, I wanna, I wanna place my faith in Jesus. I wanna respond to the king because he's either the king or he was just this arrogant rabbi from 2,000 years ago. He didn't leave us any middle ground. If you today wanna put your faith in his finished work on the cross for the forgiveness of your sin, you've never done that before, the cross is available. It's in your room as well. For many others, you've already placed your faith in Christ. If you're a Christian in the room, would you go ahead and say amen? Amen. amen then the communion tables are for you. Up in the balcony, we've got these available. Down on the floor, we've got these available. Come and receive the body and blood of Christ. Come and listen to the words again from a pastor spoken over you. This is the body of Christ broken for you for the, for the forgiveness of sin. This is the blood of Christ poured out for you for the forgiveness of sin. And I want you to take communion today and be reminded that you don't have to be perfect but the Lord has invited you in to see that the cross is a more significant feature in your life every single day. For others in the room, there's, there's, there's a weight that you carried in. You've been walking around with the weight of a job decision or the weight of a loved one or the weight of a medical deal or something going on in your life, maybe anxiety, maybe stress, maybe an addiction. It could be a zillion things. We've got prayer spaces in the room and on these prayer tables, you can write down your prayer requests if you would like, you can have one of our prayer team members pray with you, or in addition to that, you can take your prayer request and you can put them in the give boxes 
in each of our auditoriums. This week, we will take those prayer requests and we'll pray for you. We've got prayer teams that will intercede for you. And I'm telling you, there is nothing as cool as when you see change happen in your life and you can look back and say, hey, I put that in a space of prayer and I cast my cares upon Jesus because he cares for me. I stopped carrying the burdens on my own and I invited the people of God to pray with me about that, that loved one, that sickness, that job decision, that, that, that deal I was carrying. I want you to take advantage of that. Two other things that you can do, you can stay right where you are in your seat. You can stand or sit. Our worship teams are gonna come and lead us in some worship and we can, we can worship with praise. You see, that's what happens here is the cross gets bigger and bigger. Our lives get louder and louder in Jesus' name. We become living sacrifices. If you don't put the cross in this space, you know what fills it? Shame. Shame. And then you start filling it with busyness or you start filling it with pills or you start filling it with alcohol or comfort food. And so maybe that's a little bit of what you're realizing is I don't wanna, I don't wanna eat my way to filling this gap. I don't wanna drink my way to filling this gap. I don't wanna pursue the ladder in success business-wise to fill this gap. I want Jesus to be my savior and fill this gap. And the last thing you can do is if you wanna worship through giving your tithes and offerings, the give boxes are available. But I wanna invite 100% participation on all of our campuses. You can do more than one of these stations. And we're gonna do this at the end of every service for the next 12 weeks because we are not, I am not, look at me in my eyes. I am not gonna be a preacher who preaches and plays games with Christianity. And I'm gonna invite us to not be a people that, that comes in week after week and goes through the motions of hearing the word of God, but then doesn't go and do them. Because Jesus concludes the Sermon on the Mount by saying, all of those crowds, two kinds of people were in the room. Those that heard the word and put them into action, they were like the man or woman who built their house on the rock. Others heard the words and they didn't do them. And they were like the man or woman who built their lives, their houses, on the sands. Everybody was facing storms, and you and I are too, but I want to invite us in to face them with repentance in our hearts, the king on the throne, a kingdom that he's building, and a people that he's creating. If you're with me, say amen. All right, let me pray for us, and then I'm going to invite you to move to each one of these stations. Go ahead and make a plan. Father God, you know every son and daughter in this room. You know every man and woman in this room. You know everybody, what they carried into this service today. And Lord, I pray that over the next few moments, we would respond to Jesus, what you've done for us. And if there's someone that needs to respond in salvation, that they would beeline their way to the cross, that they would, they would throw themselves at the foot of the cross, that they would say, I, I trust you, Jesus, what you did for the forgiveness of sin, the victory you lived with your life and the victory that you showed with your supernatural resurrection power. Lord, for Many in the room that are already Christ followers, would you give them a fresh revelation of what you did on the cross as they come and receive communion, your body and your blood? For those of us that came into the room carrying burdens on our back, would you allow us to unload those burdens in prayer, to invite the church to pray, whatever it is, big or small, to invite the church to pray. And Lord, we wanna be worshipers. We wanna be living sacrifices that as we worship with praise and with our gifts, that you, Lord, would be magnified and glorified at New Spring Church because we, Lord, are committed to being a church that gathers but also experiencing change. So Lord, change us now from the inside out for your glory, our joy, and the world's good. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Would you move now, church?
Well, hello, you guys that are joining us online. Uh, we didn't want you to think that we hadn't considered you in the way that perhaps you might want to respond. Uh, because I would love to have you in a room at one of our 14 campuses next week. And so I'll go ahead and invite you now. But in the meantime, if you feel like, gosh, as you were preaching God's been doing some things in my heart as well. We wanted to give you a chance to know you're not alone, that you're seen, and that we, as best we can, want to serve you and come around you and love you and be a church where maybe you're at home because you're sick or you're with a loved one or you're out of town or, or maybe you don't have a church home, but today you're leaning into this family. Let me give you three ways that you can respond even right now while you're at home. And all of them are going to require you to text. So I want to invite you to get a hold of your cell phone. But if you've got a prayer, I want you to know that we will pray for you. If you've got something you've been carrying, maybe something, a sickness, maybe relationship, maybe decisions that are coming up, if you will just simply text the word CARE, C-A-R-E, to the number 30303, we will allow you to fill out on your phone what we can join you in praying about. We'll actually get back to you if you want us to, to pray with you on the phone, and we'll come around whatever that burden is that you're carrying because you don't have to carry it alone. You can, you can take heaven's view on the matter. You can ask, seek, knock, and we believe that the Lord's going to give you some clarity. But if you don't pray, nothing's going to change. So I just want to prompt you. Why don't you go ahead and pray? Text CARE to 30303. In addition to that, maybe today you're listening. You're like, Pastor Brad, I don't, I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I might know about him, but I've never placed my faith in him. Well, today's the day. There's not a better decision you can make than to put your faith into Christ Jesus. And if that's what you want to do right now, all you got to do is from your heart to say, Jesus, come and be my Lord. Come, come and save me. Lord, I, I want to put my trust in you. And we would love to walk with you through that journey. So if you would simply text the word Jesus, J-E-S-U-S, -S, Jesus, to that same number, 30303. And we'll connect with you and make sure you can get a great start on your relationship with God. We'll get you a Bible if you need one. We'll wrap around you with whatever you need. But just simply respond now if you need to put your faith in Christ. And then the last one. The last one is we are doing ministry so that everyone everywhere can have an everyday relationship with God. And if you would like to partner with us in doing that kind of ministry, I want to invite you to, to give. And literally, you just text the word GIVE NOW to 30303, and it'll prompt you so you can come alongside of us. Listen, the kingdom of God is not built on the strengths of just one or two people. It's built on the body of Christ coming together and doing it as one body. So I want to invite you in to be a part of the body of Christ. Would you respond now in whatever God prompts you to? Now, before you go, I want to bless you into this week. So Father God, I bless my brothers and sisters, wherever they are doing whatever they're doing, would you create in them an unshakable kingdom inside that they get to live in a way that impacts the people around them on the outside as they place you on the throne as king, as they, again, see the kingdom of God begin to make its way out in their life, and as they invite other people and themselves to be changed into this people of a new kingdom. Bless them in Jesus' name. I ask. Amen. Amen. God bless y'all. We'll see you again soon right here from New Spring Church.